Well, Dennis Stewart joining us. Um, we do have skin. All of us have skin, Dennis, and uh, many of us have skin complaints, skin problems, we skin do. diseases. We um, well, what we'd like to know is uh, explore some of the common skin conditions. I thought that it herbalists would be good if we treat. had a look again, Jane, at the probably the most common condition that presents to therapists such as naturopaths and herbalists, and that is eczema, adult eczema, looking what complementary medicine can do to take the burden of people who suffer some of the terrible symptoms of inflammatory skin disease. What would be the most common skin disease that you would see? Well, look, from my own experience, um, in fact, I got into complementary medicine as a result of my own uh, contracting eczema as a young engineer in Sydney, and it was my uh, solving of that problem uh, that led me to look more seriously into the role that complementary medicine or unusual medicine had in addressing many diseases, but particularly the skin. And eczema is one of those common skin conditions, which is inflammatory, it's, it's itching, it can be disfiguring, it can be a, a disease that can become infected through scratching. And many, many people, I'm, and my address today, or my talk today, is primarily addressed to adults who have battled this disease for far too long, who look for options other than topical steroids, oral medication, immunosuppressants and uh, steroid medication orally, who are looking for ways of not necessarily treating an acute flare-up, but looking at ways perhaps of preventing these flare-ups. And this is where I think complementary medicine has a role to play, in no way marginalising or in any way criticising the skills and the magnificent work that our dermatologists do. But I think they would be prepared to admit also that any medical modality, any naturopathic modality, can only go so far. And this is where I think complementary medicine has a role to play in perhaps bringing into the management of inflammatory skin disease, such as eczema, some of the ways that it is treated, particularly orally using herbs and topically using herbal preparations, ointments and lotions. And it is in that area that I have found uh, complementary medicine to work very, very well. So this program may well be useful for adult listeners out there who are constantly struggling from one episode of eczema to another, whose skin is continually inflamed, uh, all the time experiencing itch and discharge. I hope today, with what we've got to say, Jane, we might provide one or two options for people that they can initiate themselves. They're not expensive and they're very safe, albeit, as you know, any recommendation that I make on this program needs to be run past a medical manager, the GP, the specialist, before it's initiated, particularly when you're dealing with a serious level of health problem. And, and let me remind you, the skin and skin diseases can be very serious, very, very troublesome, and shouldn't be just shirked as if I was only the skin. The skin can lead into a lot of very difficult areas, but complementary medicine has a role to play just in that. So eczema. Mm, okay. We're starting with eczema. Uh, well, what is it exactly? Okay, look, it's, it's, it, the best way of describing it is it's an inflammatory skin disease, um, and by that we mean that it's characterised by simple features, heat, redness, itch, dryness. They're the common symptoms. We see them in kids that uh, babies even can be born with it, um, but you also see it in adults 
where it seems to hang on, or in my case, it came on um, fairly late, uh, we'll say fairly late in my early 20s, and it stuck with me for many years. But those symptoms are quite distressing. The itch is, is something that can become unbearable. And of course, when the, the eczema is scratched, it can similarly become infected and lead to antibiotic treatment. But at the itch, the dryness factor is also something that uh, is, is a nasty symptom associated with it. And the heat that goes with it and the way in which uh, seemingly it can be triggered off comes from left field, so to speak, and can lead to episodes which can then require the full brunt of modern medical management. Complementary medicine can sometimes lessen those onsets, provide some degree of resistance to the triggers that cause eczema, and indeed give relief for the chronic status of it, particularly through the use of herbs, one or two of which we'll talk about, and some of the sensible topical applications that are well-defined and some of which have been used. Ken from Belmont North. Um, now, you've got a question on skin, haven't you? Hello, Dennis. How are you going? I'm well, Ken. How are you? Not too bad, mate. Good, Listen, good. You were just talking about the skin today. Yes. And I've seen a show on Late Line or Dateline, whatever it was, on ABC last yes. weekend yes. about this emu. Uh, emu oil in oh, yes. capsules. Yes, yes. Have you got any ideas on it? It's supposed to be good for everything but the kitchen sink. Okay. Look, um, there's a lot of information circulating about the potential benefit of, of quite a few oils. Emu oil joins the list, if you like. Others of you would, uh, would realise would be primrose oil, which I uh, very frequently recommend. For, at- yep. for atopic eczema, and if you look at the literature, there's a good uh, basis for prescribing that. Uh, I also uh, recommend fish oils in larger dosages, say 6,000 milligrams, particularly as a chronic supplement that is taken long-term for chronic psoriasis. The use, the use of emu oil is not something yet that I've had a lot to do with, although although many of my patients and clients that I see use emu oil and vouch for its benefits as an anti-inflammatory agent, particularly when used around joints and sometimes even on inflammatory skin disease. I would suspect there is a basis to it. I did watch that program. I think it was on Landline, was it not? Yeah, I think it it was. And and look, the the people that spoke in support of it uh, were very credible people and gave very, very significant uh, optimism about its use. what I would say is I think there is a basis to it, albeit I think at the end of the day, time will tell, clinical trials are always the best way of proving or disproving the claims that are made for any of these things. But um, I thought the program was credible. Many of my clients and patients uh, use it topically and orally, and I respect what they say. But you don't think that it would hurt anyone at all? You don't think it would hurt anyone over time? It it would not be permitted to circulate in Australia as an oral or topical medication if it was assessed by the Therapeutic Goods Administration as being a substance that had potential harm. So under that score, it must be considered to be very, very safe. Keep in mind, Ken, and listeners perhaps should know this, that in this country we have one of the most rigorous 
regulatory authorities, known as the Therapeutic Goods Administration, which uh, permits or disallows substances to circulate that claim um, uh, medical or therapeutic properties. So anything that's used, that's put out as having a therapeutic property, would have to be approved by the Therapeutic Goods Administration, and that would only be um, if it was considered that that substance was safe. Oh, thank you very much, Dennis. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Ken, if you call 49216216 if you've got a question for Dennis, which Betty from Wall's End has, and your question's to do with warts, Betty. Yes, thank you very much. Good afternoon. Um, Dennis, I have, I can't pronounce, it starts with K, but the, they're rough patches like... Keratosis. Particles on a while. Keratosis. <laughs> that's it. Okay. That's what the okay. doctor said they yeah. are. Yeah. Is there anything that I could... They're starting to come out in my neck. They're on my back, my chest, yes. Yes. and now they're coming out in the throat, so I'm yes. a bit worried. <laughs> yeah. Look, they can, they can be a symptom of where I suspect you and I are at, uh, as far as age is concerned. Oh, I'm 83. Yeah, well, I'm not far behind you, so I think... <laughs> you I, I, think these, I think these so-called barnacles... Uh, what you might call a par for the course. But, but, yes. but having said that, I'll make a suggestion that might be worthwhile. I make no promises, but Thank you. there is a herb called Thuja, T-H-U-J-A. T-H- T-H-U-J-A. U-J-A. Thuja occidentalis, Thuja. yes. It's, it's popularly used and has been for many years in, in herbal medicine circles for addressing multiple of warty-type lesions on the skin, more so warts than keratoses. Sometimes it can work remarkably well. I've seen it get rid of warts, ordinary warts, if we call them that, very, very quickly. I'm not mm. sure that it will do the same job with keratoses, but certainly it is harmless. I would uh, go to your health food store or your pharmacy. Through your ointment is reasonably easy to get. Do it on one or two to see how you go. Apart, I shall. Apart, Thank from, you. apart from that, we might just have to wear it. That's a pun. <laughs> we might just have to wear it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, then. <laughs> All right, Betty. Thank you okay. very much. Right have Betty. Thank okay. you, bye, Betty. Bye. And uh, also on 49216216, Les from East Maitland has rung in. Now, Les, eczema's on your mind too, as far as your granddaughter's concerned. Yes, it is. Hello, Les. How are you going? Oh, well, indeed. Tell me about your granddaughter. How old is she? She's now 19. Okay, okay. That, so that makes a difference because with eczema, it's very frequently associated with, with babies or infants. And at that level, it, it needs to be... I know, but at that level, it needs to be critically monitored and managed, obviously, by a, by a paediatric dermatologist because it can really get out of control if it's poorly managed. But seeing your granddaughter is 19 years of age and she has had it all of her life? Yes. Okay. Uh, she's probably uh, using uh, topical steroids, is she not? Well, she's getting stuff from the doctor. It's like her mother to the chemist. Yeah, yes, okay. Yeah. Stuff I understand. It may, may be Elifrat or one other useful topical agent. But my suggestion would be to your daughter, and this could be taken on board by listeners generally, adult listeners, that battle this condition, a couple of recommendations. Yeah. The, f- the first thing is that from the herbal medicine and naturopathic profession, whilst we have great regard for the topical management of this condition and respect the need at times 
even for oral steroids when it gets really serious. We believe that the best way, well, when I say the best way, one of the ways from a complementary perspective is to recommend ongoing use of herbal medicine. Now, there is one herb that is most popularly used in Europe. Now, people might say, well, why do you keep referring to Europe? I keep referring to the European use of herbs because in Europe, uh, traditional medicine, herbal medicine, homeopathic medicine is given very significant credibility and, in fact, in many situations, particularly in Germany, is practiced by medical professionals who are skilled in the application of herbal medicine. And the most popular, when I say the most popular, certainly the most popular herb, according to the great German uh, medical practitioner and herbalist, the late Dr. Rudolf Weiss, um, he put forward the herb known as heart's ease, write that down, heart's ease, which, which botanically is known also as viola tricolor. Now, this herb, in other words, belongs to the violet family, and it is popularly used quite simply on the continent as a herbal tea. Uh, we can also prescribe it in a liquid extract form and sometimes in a tablet form, but the simplest, the most inexpensive, uh, and, and obviously the, in, in many ways, well, the simplest way is to use it as a herbal tea, taking the preparation just as you would make a cup of coffee, a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, usually a teaspoonful of the dried herb, which may yep. well be in powdered form, placed into a coffee cup, pour on the boiling water, let it cool, strain it and use the liquid. That would then become what's called the infusion of viola tricolor. That is, is a very potentially useful remedy and in literature that I also respect and frequently refer to on this program, the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia of 1983, which even to this day is considered to be a landmark work in modern herbal medicine, in that text, which sits on all my practice desks, um, viola tricolor is put forward as a major remedy, a specific remedy for eczema. And interestingly, interestingly, it's also used for childhood eczema when it would be used under medical supervision. So if I was your uh, granddaughter, I would source Viola Tricolor. There are a number of uh, preparations in health food stores, usually German teas, where the herb comes in a tea bag form and where using the tea bag is equivalent to the yep. crude form. I would hunt that out and, and, and use that as a starting base. And yep. if, if your daughter is, or granddaughter, I should say, if she's uh, looking for a, a topical alternative, there are many, many of them. But uh, one that I had a lot to do uh, with another uh, fellow herbalist, one of my first graduate students, Robin Kirby, uh, Robert and I developed or put out a modern rendition of what was called chickweed ointment. Now, chickweed, people immediately think, as being related to uh, feeding canaries, and indeed canaries love chickweed, but also it's a very, very useful herb for addressing some skin diseases. And again, in the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia, it's put forward as an ointment and as a lotion to be used for chronic eczemas to, to if you like, take the load of using a stronger medical or pharmaceuticals. Those two preparations... That is, uh, using the herbal tea, viola tricolor, uh, or heart's ease, as it's commonly known, and getting some uh, use out of chickweed ointment might do your granddaughter a little bit of good. 
Okay, then. Thanks for that. Thank you, Liz. Thanks very much for your call. Dennis, your topic today is eczema, and it seems we've got lots of questions about well, eczema. Because, because a lot of people have got eczema, Jane. Indeed. A lot of them. Indeed. <laughs> so we'll go to our next question. You can, of course, add your question. It doesn't have to be on eczema. 49216216 to the list. And Kate joins us from Maitland. And you've got a comment to make about eczema, Kate. Uh, yes, hello. Uh, look, I was just uh, listening to the, uh, the grandfather uh, about his granddaughter with eczema. Um, my daughter had eczema from when she was born and, you know, numerous visits to skin specialists and tried this and that and everything else. And it was in her early 30s that she went to another skin specialist and he actually suggested that she go on like a food elimination mm-hmm. program. Yes. So she went through all the, you know all that sort of thing, and um, she was basically down to eating potato chips and drinking water and then gradually introducing different foods. As soon as the gluten was introduced, she broke out in this, you know, really bad case of eczema. Um, Yeah, so I was just, um, you know, maybe suggesting that that was just something to try and um, two years on, as soon as she eats anything with gluten, her skin breaks out again. I, I uh, um, Kate, I appreciate what you're saying there, and I concur with what you're saying. Um, with the elimina- elimination dietary program, my only concern there is, as you said, that uh, in the process you can end up almost becoming emaciated by virtue of restricting what you're taking in. However, mm. however, what what I would say is that even in my practice, I've noticed that there are a couple of things that do seem to be triggers for this condition you've mentioned gluten and i think that is still terribly underrated and really not appreciated even by many naturopaths as well as general practitioners as well as perhaps dermatologists and it doesn't necessarily have to be an overt uh, allergic reaction to to gluten it can be what might be referred to as an intolerance that can frequently Yes, it was definitely um, classed as an intolerance. That's correct. Um, I mean, she doesn't have any other symptoms from gluten, like no no sickness, no 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 diarrhoea, no no, nothing, just purely this skin outbreak. And it was to the point sometimes where she couldn't even speak because her mouth was so around her mouth and nose. I've seen it. And And look, what you're saying there is important for listeners to take on board because... um, Gluten is something that can be reasonably easily retreated from. In our, in our food stores, in our health food stores and supermarkets, there's now a growing uh, mass of gluten-free products. So those people out there that battle um, atopic eczema in particular, an allergic form of eczema, giving a, a, a trial on a gluten-free diet may be surprising. But interesting also, I, th- I still think it is underrated the way in which uh, an overemphasis on dairy products in the diet can also function as a trigger for eczema, mm. asthma and rhinitis. And it was very, very interesting. This was, this was uh, appreciated many, many years ago before the Second World War. There was a British medical practitioner called Dr Vera Walker and she wrote a book, uh, a, a, a copy of which I have somewhere, in which the entitlement of the book was... Um, the therapeutic uses of goat's milk. And she, as a doctor, 
very strongly came out in favour of the idea that many childhood uh, allergies were, re- were related uh, to dairy products, particularly uh, from, from the cow. And by putting kids onto goat's milk, uh, she saw as a general practitioner a remarkable retreat from many of the eczemas and the other things like the rhinitis and the asthmas that usually go with it. Now, I still believe today that that is not appreciated as much as it should be. I remember when my wife and myself were first married, that's over 50 years ago, we had almost in our backyard a mini farm. By the way, that's coming back into popularity now, so we were ahead of our time. And we had a couple of sun and goats in the backyard, much to the distress of our neighbours. But we milked our sarn and goats because my, my kids came straight off their mother's breast and onto the goat's milk. But my point is, very quickly, it was found out that we had goat's milk. And it was quite embarrassing because every hour of the day, so to speak, people would be knocking at our door wanting to purchase goat's milk because they had appreciated its benefits previously in helping their kids with eczema, asthma and rhinitis. So I say to listeners out there, don't overlook uh, the possibility of getting benefit from retreating to the oldest alternative to cow's milk, and that is the goat's milk product. Ah, it's interesting, Mm. isn't it? Mm, Good mm, ways. mm. Thank you for your comment, Kate. And Bill has rung in from Katara on 49216216 and uh, a skin itch. So, yes, what's your question for Dennis, Bill? Hello, Good afternoon, Bill. Dennis. Hello, Bill. Um, mine's well, a history of a skin itch. Yes. Last uh, July, yes. I had an operation. Yes. After the operation, I had a blood transfusion. Yes. And since then, I've had this body itch. There's nothing showing, no, um, nothing external, but it's a horrible itch under the skin, all over. Are, are, are you on any other medication? Um, well, I'm an asthmatic. Okay. I, I, guess what I guess what I'm asking is, have you had any change in your medication since the uh, operation? Uh, the only change I've had, my um, blood doctor, he put me on uh, Hydria. Hydria, yes, I'm aware but of this is this is after I had the operation, though. Okay. Uh, look, Always in these conditions, one of the things that I recommend to anyone presenting with a, with a chronic itch is always have a look at what you're ingesting, particularly as far as medications that might have been prescribed to you. Many medications, even natural medications, can cause idiopathic reactions. You might be reacting to something that has been prescribed or a combination of what has been prescribed, and I would suggest at least run that uh, possibility uh, past your pharmacist who's skilled enough to be able to do that. As far as helping uh, with the itch is concerned, um, without uh, obviously looking at it in detail, I can only make simple recommendations. But you're talking to someone who at times, due to a reassertion of a lifelong eczema, also experiences itch to some degree, admittedly in localised areas. And what I've found, what I've found is some of the old favourites the inexpensive old favourites, uh, still are good to use topically. And I use a preparation, I have it on hand, based on menthol and pine tar. I'll not mention the, the company's name, but it's readily available across the counter without script from your pharmacist. It's, it's not messy. It doesn't smell too much. In fact, I tend to like the smell of pine tar. But it's a very, very useful, 
antipyritic agent, which even yesterday in my rooms I recommended to a young lady whose life was a nightmare due to a back itch associated with her eczema. I would suggest, in the absence of of, uh, anything else, go to your pharmacy, get hold of a menthol pine tar-based lotion. That'll at least give you some degree of relief. My chemist that I go to, I did get a uh, lotion off him. Yes. I've used, used two tubs of it and didn't do any good. Okay. The, Not a good result. It depends. But on lately, the, okay. I've been told to get the, um, the um, subtract of hemp. Okay. I've got a hemp oil uh-huh. and I've also got a hemp lotion. Okay. Again here, what I would say is that uh, hemp is flavour of the month at present. And now I'm not in any way at all um, putting down a sensible medical use of hemp. As you know on this program, I'm a great proponent of the legal medical use of hemp products. I'm not, I'm not aware, however, that it has startling antipyritic characteristics. I would be interested to know what was in the preparation your pharmacist prescribed. Check with him to make sure that it contains a significant amount of menthol with the pine tar. Those two are very, very credible, and if they are not in the preparation, I would suggest that you request that from him. And thanks very much for your call, Bill. Uh, Health Naturally, we've got Dennis here until one o'clock. Jenny from Mayfield has rung in, and you've got a question about one of the products that Dennis mentioned, Jenny. Yes, I do. I just wanted to know the the spelling for the product you're talking about for the keratosis. Oh, okay. Now, remember what I said with reference to that, Jenny. I make no promises because uh, um, a is mainly used for what you would ordinarily know as a a simple wart that kids get or we all get, where it works particularly well. On this condition, I make no claim to fame, but Thuja, T-H-U-J-A, Thuja... T-H-U-J-A. is a herb, and it might be of use in addressing um, this keratosis condition. It's it's worth a go, put it that way. It's not expensive. The worst thing that could happen, it mightn't work, and you might just have to live with the glorious cosmetic benefits of having these barnacles. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't they called wisdom warts? (laughs) Are they wisdom warts? I don't know. I like that one. (laughs) Yeah, okay. I'm pretty wise, Well, (laughs) Now, there was uh, something else that crossed your mind in relation to Bill's question before about skin Yeah, look, uh, Bill, I I should have mentioned to you there's a preparation known as Pusey's Calamine Liniment. Pusey's Calamine Liniment. Now, this is not just ordinary um, calamine lotion. It is calamine lotion, but it also has an additional constituent in it that is makes it a unique uh, preparation to consider for itch conditions. Your pharmacist, particularly if he's a compounding pharmacist, may well be able to, um, uh, to make it up for you. It's essentially um, a calamine lotion with a very, very small percentage of phenol. And it, is, it was well known uh, in, in, in medical circles uh, around about the time of the Second World War and in a, in a text called Davison's text on Materia Medica and Pharmacology. Uh, the formula is in that, and the pharmacist would, in any case, probably have an equivalent uh, source to manufacture it from. It wouldn't be expensive. I, again, I have used it myself. I can vouch for its benefits and one of my big regrets at the moment is my, my dear pharmacist 
in in Sydney who has manufactured my products for me for so many years, he has decided to do something which um, perhaps I should be doing, and that is to retire. And so I'm, I'm looking for someone who might well be able to make uh, Pusey's uh, calamine liniment. Write that down, Bill, and if, uh, a, a compounding pharmacist, I'm sure, would be interested in looking at that. And if they haven't got the formula, they can always ring my rooms and I'll happily pass it on to the pharmacist. And Sue has rung in from Narong. Now, Sue, you've got a different topic. We're not talking about skin this time. It's kidney stones. Yes, I am. Hello, yes. Sue. How are you? I'm very well. Good, yourself? good. I'm well. How can we help you? Okay, I've just had a, a two large kidney stones removed. Yes. Yes. Um, now, they've said I've still got two there, but they're quite small. Okay. Now, is there something you can take or whatever to prevent these things from either coming back or getting any bigger? Oh, look, that's a difficult question to answer. Um, Hmm. Herbalists have been more interested over the decades, if not the centuries, in helping to facilitate uh, the passage of kidney stones. In fact, it might interest listeners to know that uh, there is a herb called Ami Visnaga, A-M-M-I-V-I-S-N-A-G-A, Army Visnaga is a a Middle East herb and it was popularly grown in the Nile Delta. In fact, when the pyramids were opened, uh, Army Visnaga seeds were found in the pyramids because it was held in great esteem, keeping in mind that in the Nile Delta, the incidence of kidney stones then and now was very, very significant. Now, Army Visnaga has a unique property which, again, is medically known. It has, if you like, a dilatory effect on the urethra, which um, can assist in the passage of a kidney stone, and it has that reputation. It has other benefits as well. It's a very useful agent as an anti-asthmatic, and and also it could be useful in anginal conditions. However, uh, whereas years ago we could use it and prescribe it without script, now, Army Visnaga is what's referred to as a Schedule Four substance. So uh, not only would it be uh, difficult to get by virtue of your GP not knowing too much about it, but he would have to script it in any case. But okay. it, mm-hmm. let me emphasise to listeners that it has a reputation that's worthwhile looking at from the point of view of fascination and seeing that its, its benefits on smooth musculature, both the respiratory, the vascular, and the urinary system explain why it had this reputation of assisting in the passage of calculi. Obviously, that would be dependent on the size of them, but keep in mind, this was an area where kidney stones were very popular, and the pharaohs, who probably were not exempted from it, took it into their tombs with them to make sure that in the next land, when they got kidney stones, if they got them, they had something from the previous land to help them out. I'm being jocular and jovial, as you can see. <laughs> but but listen, to get, back, to get back to something, interestingly, from Java, from Java, when the Dutch colonists um, moved and, and colonised Java, what we now know as Indonesia, they found that the Java people were using a herb called kumis kuching, and Kumis Kuching was used by the Java people to address many, many kid- conditions associated with the kidney and were also used to facilitate the passage of small renal calculi or kidney stones. Now, the Dutch subsequently um, took this on board. Presumably that some of them experienced uh, kidney problems relevant to the potential of this herb. And it was so successful 
that Java kidney tea, as it's now known, write that down, Java kidney tea, is in fact in some European pharmacopoeias, and interestingly, I use it in practice, not so much for this conditions, but for other conditions purport or associated with the kidney. But interestingly, in the literature, there's a hint that using it as a simple herbal tea, and it's very, very, uh, how can I call it, uh, it's not nasty, put it that way, easily made up as a herbal tea, working with that may do a couple of things. It may assist in resolving the presence of these very small calculi, and equally importantly, taken as a pleasant herbal tea ongoingly, it may well lead to a, a, a lessening of further calculi developing. Excellent. Thanks for your question. Our last call for today, Dennis, is Craig from Abermain. And uh, you've had an interesting thing with uh, warts, Craig. Um, when I was working out at a bottling line out at um, the vineyard yes. years ago, somebody, somebody told me to use um, on warts yes. um, the inside of a banana peel. Yes. So I did it for a fair while, or probably oh, six months. Yes. Yeah, fairly religiously. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, they were telling me to use the inside of banana peel. Yes, yes. And it actually, the, the wart ended up going. I had the wart for probably 15 years. Yes. Look, it, that's that's not um, unknown. Was was yours a planter wart? Uh, yeah, it yeah. probably was. Yeah, it was, okay. it was on, on, on the palm of my hand. The use of the inside of the ripe banana peel is well known in traditional medicine, particularly for what we refer to as planter warts which are wretched things, difficult to manage medically, uh, but a perseverance with a daily use of the inside of the banana peel is, is called up, and I've had patients vouch for it, and my own wife used it in resolving a stubborn plantar wart on her foot. I have no problems in giving agreement to that. My only problem is uh, that you have to be careful you don't slip if you if you want a banana peel and you ended up on your bum, I'd hate you to come back and blame Dennis Stewart for recommending the use of, of a banana peel for planter wart. But there is some credibility there, Craig. That's good. Use other stuff from the chemist and whatnot. It never ever worked. Well, and look, banana peel therapy is pretty cheap, isn't it? But you've just got to be a bit cautious. Now I'm being a bit jovial, but there's there's something in it. That's excellent. And thank you very much to all our callers today. We're coming to the end of Health Naturally. And mm, we good will... program. Are excellent. you going to use some banana peel on your feet? Uh, well, Jane? I think I need to. I think it would just give it that extra <laughs> softness, wouldn't it? <laughs> thank you, Dennis okay. Stewart, right very right. much. Okay. And uh, we will be back next Friday. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.